see what you can do for people. The more you can do for your staff, the more you can do for people, the more you can do for the owners, the more you can do for your guests, the further you will go. The, the more you're focused on you, you're not going to get very far. Hello, and welcome to The Modern Hotel. You're presented by Stay Flexi, your all-in-one modern operating system for independent hotels. Each episode, we'll get to know an industry expert, and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you, The Modern Hotelier. Welcome to The Modern Hotelier, presented by Stay Flexi. I'm your host, David Malilli. And I'm your co-host, Steve Karen. Steve, who do we have today? Yeah, David, today we have on the one and only Anthony Melcurry. Uh, Anthony is well known for being the host of Hotel Impossible on the Travel Channel. Uh, but currently, Anthony is the president of Argeo Hospitality and the co-host of No Vacancy with Glenn Houseman. It's also common to see Anthony speaking, hosting, or producing some type of hospitality content as well. So welcome to the show, Anthony. You forgot David Malilli's luggage carrier. <laughs> And David Millie's luggage carrier. (laughs) All right. So, Anthony, we've got really three sections. One's going to be kind of a quick get to know you. So people who've, you know, heard you talk or or seen you on LinkedIn get to know you a little bit better. The second will be about Hotel Impossible, your career. And then the third is really just about advice and industry trends and things of that nature. So what was your first job in hospitality? My first job was Embassy Suites, Overland Park, Kansas. Um, uh, I was a night auditor and then I was the breakfast person and, uh, stayed there when I was in the air force part-time for a couple of years. If you don't count busboy and valet Parker and <laughs> Frankfurter giver outer. Do you have a favorite hotel? Um, La Residencia in Mallorca, Spain at the Plaza Hotel. And of course my favorite, the Algonquin. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in a hotel? Um, the weirdest thing I've ever, st- dude, that's like asking, you know, the Pope, what was the most, give us one, on Earth? Uh, give us one. the weirdest thing I've ever seen in a hotel, um, Hmm. A gun, a gun underneath the bed. <laughs> what do you think you'd be doing if you, if you weren't in hospitality? Uh, legitimately being your luggage carrier. Um, <laughs> I would be, I would probably be a professional poker player. 100%. That's, I, I picked that you one. You knew too. that. <laughs> yeah. Who, was there somebody who you admired growing up? Someone you looked up to? Um, growing up? Um, no, because my, my life was so chaotic. I didn't really, as you know, I, I was a busy person when I was growing up. Um, and a lot going on, just trying to um, keep it together. But I would say the first person that I really admired was General Colin Powell. He was the first, first person I remember really idolizing. If you could trade places with some someone for a day, who would it be? No one. Not me. No one. Okay. Do you have a secret talent that nobody knows you have? I can juggle. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, what's your favorite adult beverage? You answer that. <laughs> Johnny Walker Blue. Uh, what is a <laughs> what's a sound or noise that you love? Oh, my kids. My kids, anything. And as you know, my, my kids are not you know, kids anymore. They're adults. My twins are 22 and my baby's 19. But like last night, we went to the Sebastian uh, comedy uh, thing at Barkley. And just watching my kids laugh was like everything. Why is Coney Island so special to you? Because my father painted the parachute ride and my dad died when I was two. So anytime I see the parachute ride. Matter of fact, I always say, if you see me like on Instagram, taking a picture of me near the parachute ride in my car, that means I'm having a day where I really need like 
focus and I need support. Okay. So I go there to get focus and support from my dad. Uh, what's a perfect day like for you in Las Vegas? <laughs> Why don't you answer that, David? <laughs> Sitting at the poker table for 18 hours. Uh, <laughs> if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Um, the ability to make sure my kids are always okay. That's a good answer. So I've been out with you a lot. People recognize you. They scream out, Anthony, who's the Who's the person you get uh, mistaken for the most when you go out? I know some of them, but who do you get the most where people think you're somebody else? I would say it's very close, but it's um, Pitbull and very close second, Howie Mandel, <laughs> which I don't see Howie Mandel. And- Pitbull, I don't see either, but whatever. <laughs> I got Tom Selleck a couple of times. Well, I like the story you told when the guy, I think it was at a Marriott, you were checking in. The guy said, you're Howie Mandel. Right. You said, no, I'm not. And the guy just kind of looked at you like, yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> and the woman who was checking me knew who I was. And she was, she was flawed. She was so embarrassed. <laughs> and uh, to this day, he thinks I'm Howie Mandel. All right. So I, I've written down the word, but what's the, what's the best word to describe you? Fair. Oh, I didn't have that one. I had passionate and intense. Those were yeah, my two guesses. I, I, you know what? I, the reason I say fair is because my social media manager uh, asked a whole bunch of people that that know me and said, describe Anthony, uh, your favorite word. And a lot of passion and tension came out. But Alex uh, Goldstein, who's a producer of my show and is producing some things for me currently, and just produced the um, Icon show for HBO and he's doing the Liza Minnelli documentary. Very talented young guy. And he said Fair. And, and he saw me for nine years on set where I had a reputation being pretty intense because we had a lot a real show, as you know, going on. And um, I wasn't going to take any crap from anyone. And so a lot of people say, well, he's difficult to work with. He's intense. He's passionate. But he said he's fair. And that was my favorite word to describe him because I am fair. I'm a very fair person. No, I agree. All right, Steve, let's get us going with the second part. All right. All right. Sounds good. So Anthony, now we're going to learn a little bit more about you, kind of what, you know, where you grew up, what makes you take things like that. So uh, you grew up in Brooklyn, correct? Correct. Was there anything that really shaped you to make you who you are today uh, from growing up in a place like Brooklyn? Uh, my dad dying when I was two, my mom uh, doing things she had to do to put food on the table. As David knows, there's a movie about my life story that stars James Conlon's Melissa Milano called Wise Gal. So growing up in that environment where I had a mother who was very strong, uh, strong-willed, and did what she had to do to put food on the table, kept us clean, made sure that we didn't get in trouble. We, we could have easily gotten in trouble. And very, very powerful force. And somewhat unpredictable. So I think, you know, it was funny because the other day I, I realized when my daughter walks into a room, she sums up the room in a second. And she grew up, you know, in a pretty comfortable life. And uh, mm-hmm. I sum up the room in a second, too, because I never knew when I opened the door what I was going to get, right? So I would say the death of my dad really changed the trajectory of my life. Awesome. Thanks for that. And then uh, you joined the Air Force a little later in life. How did that prepare you for hospitality? Well, I was 19 years old. Um, a, a, a couple things. One, I was promoted, fortunately, to protocol officer, which is the most dangerous job in the military because I have to pour really hot coffee. And, you know, the hot coffee is really <laughs> dangerous. So as they're talking about top secret things, the B-2 bomber was on our base, the, uh, the stealth bomber, I should say. We had 150 intercontinental ballistic missiles, and I was in those top secret meetings pouring coffee. So 
I realized, I, I saw one of my colonels, he became a general eventually, but he walked out of the room. He got a, I don't know where it was, a text message or someone came in, I can't remember, and said there was a problem. So he left the meeting room in. It was a top secret meeting and he um, left. And about an hour later, he came back into the meeting. And weeks later, I said, hey, Colonel, when you left, what was that all about? You know, because he never left meetings. He was the commander. And he said, we thought we had a... Um, uh, a nuclear default, which means a nuclear weapon was armed. And he walked out of that room and it wasn't, it was a, it was just a computer error. And he walked out of that room like he was just going to church and came back like he just came from church. And so like, I mean, when you're sitting on nuclear weaponry and the people that you report to handle nuclear, nuclear weaponry, you kind of start to realize what leadership's all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you learn to keep your cool in intense situations no, like that as well? As- that, 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 <laughs> that, that took me a while. Um, I probably, I don't know. And, and David, you maybe you can answer that. You see me in intense situations. Uh, do I keep my cool? How do I handle myself? I think you handle your cool very well. I think it's, um, you know, I think it's when somebody is is trying to push your buttons, but goes too far or does something that's just unacceptable. That's not, you know, just when someone's just being an ass, I think that's what will set you off. But I think for the most part, having seen you in situations and dealt in certain things, you're, you're very, you're very calm. If you're, if you're heated, there's a very good reason. Like if you, if you lose your temper, there's a very, very good reason. It's not like you're just a hothead. Right. And honestly, I, I, I remember the last time I lost my temper and the last time I lost my temper was in Daytona raceway 10 years ago. no, seven years ago with my, one of my producers. And I still regret it. It was something uh, she did that wasn't right, but I kind of lost my temper and I don't yell and scream. I'm not that guy. I'm just not. But um, a lot of people would say, no, Anthony, you've lost your temper a lot more than that, but I get intense. I don't lose my temper. I get intense. And so I'll get real direct with somebody and I'll tell people what the standard is and what's acceptable, not acceptable. But I, I, I kind of grew up with kind of a lot of stuff in my house. So I didn't really, I don't like yelling and screaming. People would say you're a very fair person. It depends. I would say the last 15 years, yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people that probably would cross the street if they saw me because I have no problem asking people to, you know, you're not welcomed on set or you're not welcome in the hotel anymore. You know, one of the things I've learned in managing businesses is really high standard, high quality people don't like mediocrity. They hate it more than I do. And so when you allow mediocrity to happen, even if I like that person, even if I want that person to stay, my team will not function at the highest level. So, you know, I am not the smartest person in the room by far. I am not the most intense person in the room by far. I'm not even the most passionate in the room by far. But I have to maintain that standard for everyone else in the room because we've all been around where somebody's mediocre and we're all like, why does that person get to get away with that crap? You know, when we all hold ourselves to a high standard. So I have no problem holding the standard and being very direct. That's awesome. That's awesome. Kind of speaking of holding that high standard, you went through the process of renovating the Algonquin Hotel. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to know what was that process like? Um, kind of how did, how did you decide what to do next? And, you know, what was that like? Well, when you look at a renovation of a historic property, and a lot of us have been through it, it's it's normal. It's like it's nothing that extraordinary. A lot of general managers have done it. A lot of hotel people have done it, and they've done a lot more than I have. 
What made the Algonquin unique is it had not been turned around for 30 years and it was an icon that everybody forgot about. It was it was dusty, it smelled like cat pee, and financially it wasn't hitting the mark. The union was very aggressive towards the management and controlled the hotel. So and I had an ownership that brought me in and said, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. That's like giving a crack out of crack, right? It's like, what? Are you serious? He's like, yeah. I was like, he goes, just don't screw it up and you won't get fired. I said, okay, so that's all I needed to hear. And, you know, I did things that were unconventional. And David knows all these stories. Uh, one time, I unfortunately had to go toe-to-toe with a union delegate. And I got his attention. And I got everybody's attention. Uh, and he became somebody who was supporting me. I gave everybody in the hotel my phone number the first two weeks I was there. Uh, I had a meeting with my entire team. And I said, the managers don't know what they're doing. And some of them will be here in a couple of weeks. Some of them won't. One lady literally left. One manager left the stage that day and never came back. And I gave my phone number to the staff and said, when we understand the union contract and we understand how to run this hotel, we'll run it. Right now, you guys run it and let us know if you need anything. Here's my cell number. And this young lady, Queen, not young lady, older woman said, uh, um, you're crazy for giving everybody your phone number because everybody's going to call you in the middle of the night. The only person to ever use my phone number that was a line employee was Queen. <laughs> so it really shook people. One, I stood up yeah. to the bully. Squared up on him. I won't tell you the story. David can tell you offline. And uh, the other was I gave my phone number out. And then I started to do things with my team that made the hotel money, made the union members money. Uh, and it was some of the best years we've ever had. And we were just one great team. So, you know, turning around a historic hotel, a lot of people have done it. This hotel in particular, we had to do it on a dime. And the renovation took us 28 days. And the New York Times said the only thing that turned around in July of that year was the Algonquin Hotel uh, that on time, I should say. And uh, we did it for just $3 million. We did all soft goods. And um, it was crazy. It was a, it was a crazy to do it. We shut it down for the first time in the history. You know, and as Mike Lyons, our 50-year uh, person that, that was at, at the Algonquin 50 years, said to me, the Depression didn't shut it down. World War II didn't shut it down. Anthony Mercury is going to shut down the Algonquin. Pats <laughs> me on the back and say, good luck with that, boss. And that scared the living shit out of me. And 28 days, we opened it up, and it was it went crazy. Uh, we, ju- we turned it around. And, and, and more importantly, we doubled the money for the owner. And that was kind of – and the union had pride back in the building. The hotel had a name again. And uh, it was just fun. It was just fun and scary as hell. Do you still, so you do do a lot of speaking engagements. Do you still get nervous? Uh, as you know, I have horrific stage fright. I've had crippling stage fright. And I figured out that for the first couple of years I was doing this, I had a moderator. Even if I had to pay him myself, I had him come on and help me. And then I was great. I was on stage and I was great. If I had a moderator, I can be on stage naked and I don't care. Um, and then recently, I'd say in the last two years, I, I take the stage and I'm not really... Uh, nervous anymore. And it's just because um, I know what I need to be comfortable. And I just did one last week and I'm doing one on Monday. And uh, last week I was probably the the least nervous I've ever been. And I got the longest standing ovation in my career. So How I figured people? it out. How uh, many people uh, were there? 1,500, 2,000. Oh. And, wow. it was, and it was, it was probably 
the most comfortable I've ever been in my life on stage. And um, this week it's a Q and A with IHG, and I'm you know I'm doing it with a friend of mine who's the vice president, Jim Taylor. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and that'll you know that's a Q and A, so that's typically easy. But yeah, and I think like, I like that question because. Everybody looks at us, right, David? And it's like, oh, you know, you can do anything and, oh, you're so lucky and all that. And we know each other very well that we've had ups and downs and we have our own insecurities. And I like that question because no one, everybody laughs at me when I say I'm stage fright because like, what are you talking about? You did a TV show. Nine years, that camera went on and David was there the first day. I wasn't even nervous. I wasn't even close to nervous. I was nervous about doing a good job, but I wasn't nervous about being on TV because I, I kept on bumping my head into the camera because I didn't recognize I was on TV. So that was never a problem for me. Getting on stage in front of one person or 10,000 people was, was something that really, really um, I had to overcome. And I like talking about it because I, I have overcome it. I didn't talk about it maybe a couple of years ago as much because I hadn't overcome it and I was afraid. Uh, because I was afraid. I don't know what, why I was afraid. But now I love it because that was something that almost took me out, like literally almost took me out. And the thing I love the most is um, doing speaking gigs. I love them. Well, you're, you're I mean, not just because you're on the show, but you're very good. I mean, everyone I talk to who knows that we know each other always or they've seen you speak or, or they always are like, wow, I saw Anthony. He did a great job. Do you have one that's your favorite? Was there one that you kind of like finished and you were just like, that was I couldn't, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do another one better than this. I don't have a favorite, but I will tell you one that stands out. I did a, a one for Cornell and the kids at Cornell and I did it for free and I did it because of college and they, um, uh, I was honored to do it. And this young lady wrote her paper to get into the hotel school based on my show and based on me, Amanda, who's still a friend of mine. And she was just lovely. And they could have invited anyone. Matter of fact, Mr. Marriott's grandson was in the class. And they, instead of inviting Mr. Marriott, they invited me. And I was supposed to talk for, I think, 50 minutes. I had a moderator with me at the time. I did two hours and 50 minutes. And I didn't realize it because I was talking Q&A and I didn't want to leave. And I felt like I had just got on stage. So, you know, a lot of the younger generation gets a bad rap. One, I think what they've been through in the last couple of years, I think they're they're going to be the next great generation. I really believe that because they've been through hell, like what we all have, but they're 20. Somebody was doing a review of my kid who works in the hotel business and said she's uh, resilient. And so I think she's resilient for a number of reasons. And one, because the last couple of years, she had to be. So that stood out that the Cornell kids and really the college kids in the hospitality program, they're a different breed, man. They're just, they're smart, they're they're passionate, they're hardworking, you know, and um, so those always stand out, but that that one session really stood out. And then another thing, they brought me to dinner at the Hotel Statler, and we're sitting around the table, maybe the executive team of the, the, the student body, and there's maybe 20 of them. And I asked, how many kids, now this is a kid that had never been to Europe until he was, he had a TV show. Uh, no, actually, I went with my brother once to meet my family, but anyway... He, he, um, I said, how many people by show of hands have been to Europe? And they all laughed at me because kids that go to Cornell have been to Europe since they were like three. So yeah. they were very worldly and, uh, really admired them. So you, you'll get a kick out of this one. So can you explain to those who are either watching or listening, what, what's a missile pilot? You know what I love about you? You did it with a straight face and you did it with like, like just complete, like a great tone. A missile pilot is when you and your best friend, rest his uh, soul, uh, Russell Herbie Hooks, uh, go into a bar in Warrensburg, Missouri, 
and uh, you're single and you tell the girls that are trying that you're trying to dance with that you're missile pilots. And they say, what's well, a missile pilot? And this is not true. Just think, I don't want to like, you know, uh, Steve, get you and think this is true. I was like, well, we're the missile base. So who do you think flies the missiles over to, you know, Russia and then jumps off the missile? And they're like, you do that? I say, yeah, there's a little thing and you jump and we, we, we pilot it and then we jump off. Uh, everyone always believed us. <laughs> but a real missile pilot sits in the silo and uh, shoots off missiles. <laughs> and everybody believed you. Nobody second-guessed you on 100%, that one? 100%. 100%. I got taller and handsomer. Oh, <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Fantastic. That's great. So Anthony, I kind of want to ask you a few questions or, you know, shift the topic here to Hotel Impossible. Um, I've seen the show. I thought I, you know, watched it years ago and loved it. How did you really get the idea to start Hotel Impossible? um, Well, I had a friend of mine that offered me the CEO job of his company. And for two reasons, I couldn't do it. And that would have been the most fun I've ever had is working with my best friend in his company. But I just decided I, it wasn't right for me at that time. And uh, I, I was tired of making – I worked at uh, Tishman at the time. And I like Tishman and I like all the people I've worked for in the industry. But I literally was tired of making rich people richer. Uh, that was kind of my statement to myself. I'm like, I'm just tired of this. It's like I think I'm good at my job. I think I've, I've done a good job. But like I want to teach the business. And I want to build my own brand. So I got the idea for the show um, with help of friends like David and other people. They helped me. And um, before I knew it, I was, um, I got lucky. You know, it was the right time, you know, uh, preparation and opportunity equal luck. And uh, I worked hard. I went through a lot of money for two years, staying out, trying to get the show done. Um, and right before I was about to, you know, say, I can't do this anymore. I went through my FU fund. Uh, they called me and said, they're picking up the show. And that was probably professionally the happiest day in my life because I just intuitively knew people wanted to see the show. And there's not been a hotel show in America that's been successful ever to this day outside of our show. And it took someone like me and my team that didn't have anything. I had everything to lose professionally because if I really screwed up and didn't do a good job, I would never be able to be invited back into the hotel industry. So that's who I served. I served the housekeepers and the front desk people and the managers and owners who would watch the show. And I never cared about ratings, never cared about producers, never cared about Travel Channel. I just cared about the hotel owner and their staff. And if I did that, I and I said the things that a lot of vice presidents of brands and general managers can't say. I mean, how many times in an airport, probably never am I not in an airport where people don't come up to me and go, oh my God, you know, you changed the way I check into a hotel or I wish I could have said that to my boss. It's like I said the things and, and it's not 100% not scripted. David's been on set. He knows it's 100% not scripted. And I created it, helped, you know, I started creating it and then my team helped me and I helped produce it and I hosted it. So everything you saw was what I wanted and never once the travel channel say curse less, curse more, be funnier, you know, look taller. They never gave me a note, not to say on set with producers, they all tried to give me notes and you know, that didn't work out so well for them. Well, but, you didn't even, uh, when you started, when you, you didn't even have, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but in the beginning you weren't even, sure you wanted to be the host. It was just more about getting it made, not about you being host or you having a show. 
That's what I love about having my best friend interview me because you know Missile Pilot and you know, like no one knows that because everybody knows my personality thinks I want to be in the front. I love producing. I never have to be on TV another day in my life and I never have to be on a mic another day in my life if I can make a living producing and whatever. I do want to do keynote speaking the rest of my life because I enjoy it. But um, I, I, I actually tried to force them to not have me as host. But that wouldn't have worked out because um, the person that I would have had to manage that was the host would have probably stabbed me in the neck. You know, because 99% of, of what you saw was impromptu. Like, it just happened. Wow. I mean, it was just 100%. I remember being on a, on a set in, where was I? I was, call it California. And it was a really bad pool. It was disgusting. It was a filthy pool. And there's a gentleman named, Brand, you can look him up, Brandon Braga. He was, he's a big producer in Hollywood. He, he emailed me one day and he said, listen, I, I do a lot of things you do on set. You've taught me how to be a better manager. And this guy did Cosmos with Neil uh, uh, Tyson and he's done Star Trek. He's done everything. And he's, he is one of the biggest producers in Hollywood. Matter of fact, I was with him at dinner one day and he's talking to Steven. I go, Steven who? Spielberg. So he's a big shot. And he was on my set because I was, in, oh, Louisiana. I was in Louisiana with my daughter on set because I was going to go to his set because he was in Louisiana shooting to show my daughter because she wanted to be in, in, in theater and movies. And he came to my set and he was standing there with his assistant. And I'm just flabbergasted that this guy is even interested in my set or my show or me. And we're done with this hour and it was supposed to be five minutes, went an hour. It was crazy. I was chasing an owner. He threw a shoe at me. Uh, <laughs> it, it was just crazy. He called the cops on us. It was insane. And, 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 he, and, and he said to me, he looked at me and he goes, I didn't see you rehearse that. I go, rehearse what? He goes, that was real? I go, dude, that was 100% real. That all happened like just impromptu. And he couldn't believe it because when I've been on his set, obviously it's very regimented. And so that's really what I enjoyed most about the show, but also why I think it resonates with not only hotel owners, but a lot of managers is uh, we deal with nonsense all day long. And, you know, something just happened to my company that I run. And if I had a camera on me for the last day and a half, um, it would have been maybe the best show in, in the episodes <laughs> because it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. Yeah, that's the number one question I get asked. Um, about you or the show is what was that real? Like, is that, that's, that's like scripted, right? And I'm like, no, no, I'm like, actually, if somebody does try to script it, like that everything blows up. I think I'm like, people get fired. I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's real. So what's your favorite? Is there, you did, I know you, I mean, you did, I think you did how many, a hundred plus episodes? 108, nine seasons. 108. What was, your, was, and was there one? Other, that, and two other spinoffs that we did. Yeah. Five star secrets and extreme hotels. Correct. Mm -hmm. And we did another show that I came on as a voiceover, a hotel showdown. Oh, that's right. Did, what was there one episode that was your favorite of Hotel Impossible? One that you really felt like, wow, that was maybe well, the most I exhausting. Of, or, I was thinking of the first show, other than the pilot I did. The, the first real yeah. show we did was the one um, down in Florida with with a family and with these young girls, and 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 we were able to help the family, but. But I'm going to go to the last show we ever did. It was the 108th show. And you know, you've heard me say this, David. I was like, I want the last show to be our best show. 
And the last show was our best show. It was the best crew I've ever had. Um, it took us five seasons out of the nine to get the crew that I was most proud of. And, and I never stopped. And David heard all the nightmare. I never stopped. I never, even our director who was with us for the first five seasons, we just fought all the time. And finally I just had it. And it's like, it's either him or me. And I still love him to this day. We're friends and I wish him nothing but the best, but I just couldn't take it anymore. I, I was too stupid to realize I could let him go the first season, but he was, he was great. He helped me, but he was just too restrictive on lighting and positioning of camera. He would never tell me what to do, but like we'd have to walk through a door three times. And I'm like, I'm done with this. And then the, the, the other person that did our pilot with us came back. He was our director and he was just like, it was a shit show every day. And it was great. It was like we were running into walls, cameras were falling downstairs. We were falling off the back of mopeds and snowmobiles. And it was crazy. I almost killed myself five times. The more I almost killed myself, the more he loved it. It was just, and it's so funny. Somebody just said to me recently, who's a big, big fan of the show, said, um, what happened in the fifth season? It changed. I go, what do you mean? And it was a subtle change. It's like, it just got quicker. And it was like, that was a change of directors. And But the last show was so intense and the owners were so horrific to the employees that I threw a chair across the banquet space. And I didn't do it on camera because I wouldn't have done it on camera. I was just so frustrated. And the cameraman said, hey, can you do that again? I was like, unless I'm throwing it at you, no, I can't do it again. And I went into my and I went into my green room, my trailer, because we couldn't stay in the hotel because we had bed bugs everywhere. And I remember being in my trailer and the camera was coming in and I kicked the door closed. I was like, do not come in here with that camera. And the director came in and I, and I broke down in his arms. I started wailing like a three-year-old because I've never seen someone treat good people the way these two pieces of shit owners treated these employees. And I was so proud that the last show was our best show. And I always said, one day I'm going to get tapped on the shoulder and the show is going to be done. Only 200 shows in the history of American television have ever done nine seasons. I'm one of them. So when I got tapped on the shoulder to say, hey, no, matter of fact, no one even called me and told me it's over. They just didn't pick it up anymore. I was so satisfied, and David can tell you that. I was so, I was the only one that was not upset because I was waiting for day one for it to be tapped on the shoulder and said no more because the percentages of doing a show for nine seasons and doing it your way is 0.00000001%. Like I did it my way, my show for nine years, for nine seasons. I don't think any show's ever been done like that. Maybe Anthony Bourdain's show. Yeah, and I what I tell people, you know, what's amazing is about with entertainment shows, movies, plays, whatever, there's voices, people saying it's so subjective. Somebody has to like you. Some It's not like sports where, wow, this that, that kid throws 102 miles an hour. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. He's going <laughs> to he's going to make the major leagues or this guy's an all-star quarterback. It's so subjective. So to 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 do it and get that, you know, obviously it's got to feel, you know, incredible. Well, you know, what, I'm, I'm probably really two things. One, I had the best teams and the people worked their asses off so hard and made me look good. You know, I was doing all the fun stuff where they were doing all the hard work. You know, we, me and my producer, Alex, we talk about the time he prevented me from getting whacked in Sicily by a hitman. And that's a true story. Like he literally shut down the show because he said you'd get whacked. If you went to that hotel, you, they would have killed you. And he wasn't kidding. 
And so I had so many great people around me. So I'm beyond honored and proud. And the only reason there's a show, you hear it all the time, people are like, oh yeah, everybody else. It literally was. I mean, it was just me being able to be, a, it's like watching a kid in a playground, right? It's like, you you have to build a playground and your parents have to put protective barriers so you don't kill yourself, but you get to play in the playground. And that's what happened for the show. They put me in a protective playground and no one told me what to do. And it was, it was the, the most fun. And I'm also the most proud of our focus group when the when the pilots in the first three episodes before it was on air, they they go through focus groups. Everybody goes through them. Anthony Bourdain, everybody went through them. And to this day, I understand that my focus group was the highest rated focus group in the history of all of the channels on on uh, on scripts at, at the time. And authenticity, believability, understanding of content, I was the highest rated. And that to me was my favorite because it was just me. I didn't, I didn't water it down for anybody. I didn't care. I really don't, to this day, I don't care. I mean, if you don't like me, you don't like me. And another thing is, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever read a bad comment about the show online. You know, people say I'm full of shit and I'm a, you know, I'm an asshole and I'm Napoleon complex and stuff like that. But the show I've never gotten a bad. I don't remember uh, David getting a bad comment on uh, a review uh, on the show. I don't no, remember. I mean, if, you go, if you go, if you go to um, IMDb, not IMDb, um, uh, I think Amazon. The ratings are really high, even on IMDb. The ratings are pretty high. Again, I mean, you know, a lot of times I talk to people, or if I have conversations about the show or about you, and not telling them that you know, I've known you for you know twenty five plus years. It's 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 always positive. Like I've never I've never had to say to someone like, well, what what do you mean? Why, why didn't you like it? Or what did you think? The, again, the question I always get is that wasn't that wasn't real, right? That's that that's that's fake, right? And I'm like, no, it's real. Yeah. So, David, can I ask you a question? Sure. Why on the pilot episode of Hotel Impossible were you cut and you didn't make the pilot episode? Well, I had done such a great job that Anthony was nervous that they were going to give me the show. So he actually pulled them aside and said, yeah, you just got to cut that out. It's not going to work. It's, you know, and that's, I mean, that's the truth. And so. What was the, yeah. what was the, what was the asshole thing that I asked you to do? I asked you, what was it? Was it? You oh, tried to oh, take okay. my tie I, off. I yeah. So here I am trying to be a good friend, drive all the way out to friggin' Montauk. You know, and I, you know, I, I don't do TV, so I got a tie and I'm presenting this website that we're going to do and I'm all wired up and he comes in and starts to, you know, says, oh, you shouldn't have a tie on. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, this is live, the recording. What are you? I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I'm screwing up the whole, the whole show, but uh, it was good. It yeah. was fun. It was, yeah, it was, it was fun, it was a- but unfortunately he didn't make the cut. I think there's one shot of your website that goes about that quick, right? It's still online. My a section of the show is online on the Travel Channel, and I was did the day in the life of Anthony Mulcury. You came oh, that's to the, right. the that's offices, right. yeah, which is one of the most liked videos I have online because my kids were involved, and my kids still. <laughs> no, I think it was my kids, but uh, it's my kids like in college, their friends will find it, and they just yeah. they just brutalize my children. <laughs> that's funny. Fantastic. So Anthony, kind of go on the other spectrum now. Any show that was just brutal, which was tough, which you remember that every just one of them. sticks out to you. <laughs> no, and I'm, and I'm not saying that to be to, to, like every one of them, every wow. one of them. I almost threw up every one of them. I lost a couple of pounds. Every one of them. I didn't think we'd make it. Every one of them. I threatened to quit. Every one of them. I was scared shit. Um, think about 
how TV works. You have a script, you have producers, and there's a budget. And you go and you rehearse and you hit the script and the actors act and the light is light and every the camera's camera and everybody does what they're supposed to do. And it's over. It's like, you know, a surgery. Like, you know the script. You're going to go in there. You've done the surgery a hundred times. And sometimes there's unexpected things, but you're prepared for it most of the time. Now, imagine being a producer and a director and a camera guy. You don't have a script. You have no idea what's in my brain. I don't know if I can get the show in the can because I don't know if there is a show and we show up with a budget that we have to get a show. For me, it was hard, but for, imagine being around me and you have to trust me so you don't get fired because if we go back without a show, we're all screwed. So until I got the show and I didn't get the show in my brain until the second day afternoon or the third day morning. And I would turn to the director, like sometimes I'll go, oh, we got the show, it's a good, it'll be fine, whatever. Until I said it out loud, we didn't have the show because I still was very scared. And sometimes I'll, like, I'll come off scene and I'll just look at the director and go, we got the show, see you later. And then, and then for the next day and a half, I'm like so calm and cool and I'm so happy. And yeah, I'm still doing what I have to do and being intense, but I got the show. You know, there was one show we did up in the Catskills and the uh, showrunner, who's basically in charge, took a very expensive $5,000 uh, walkie-talkie and threw it at a tree about 10 feet from my head. That's how angry he was because I was walking off the show. And after he broke the camera, it was pouring rain. And I'm laughing at him and I go, Rob, um, we got the show, bro. And I walked out. And that was it. And, and we got the show in two days. We didn't turn it around. And the guy was a piece of crap, but we got the show. Now, I, I, my job is to do the best I could. I did. And I got the show. Would I have walked out if we didn't get the show? Of course. I still would have walked out. But I knew it was coming to an end and the owners were going to throw us out. So I told them, let me go in whatever it was. I said, let me go do that scene. And it was, remember, David, you probably remember this, when I had the three contractors, the roofer, the mold expert, and somebody else. I said, I have to have that scene before he throws us out. Because if I have that scene, the audience is going to hear those experts say, you got to bulldoze the place or you're going to kill somebody. And that's what they said. And I was like, drop the mic, I'm gone. Because he's not going to do it. And I go, what do you want from me? He goes, I want you to leave. I said, bye. And then I got a radio (laughs) thrown on my head. (laughs) Do Do you have any nervous tics? When you enter a hotel, just from like all the all the bad hotels you've seen, you do you check for bed bugs every time. Do you open up the drawers? Anything you do <laughs> now entering a hotel? Well, the nervous thing I have when I'm doing the show is I'm not fun to be around the first day. I'm probably okay. you probably don't want to talk to me or be near. Even if David's on set, like you don't want to be near me. You don't you don't want to have a drink with me. You don't want to go to dinner with me. Probably the first two days, you don't want to be near me. Um, not because I'm gonna like throw anything at you, but I'm just like, I can't see your face. I don't remember your name. I can't hear your voice. I'm just petrified. Right, David? Well, that goes into the intense, the passionate, the focus. I mean, I think that's knowing you or having spoken to you some of those days or maybe mistakenly called you, you can tell you're very focused on what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that's my nervous take is like fiercely, competitive and fiercely hyper-focused to the point where literally I can't hear you. 
Like literally, I hear because I, I, I don't. So that's if that's a tick. And then I would say I immediately notice demeanor, not so much dust or cleanliness or signs that are dirty or lights that are out. I immediately notice the first employee that I see, whether it be the person picking up trash in the in the parking lot or whether it be the front desk person. That is the thing that I really kind of have a problem with. On the other hand, when I see, I was just at the new hotel in Vegas. My friend Shannon runs the new resort world. She runs the whole complex and she put me up at the, uh, what's the fancy one, David? Um, it's, it's resorts world, it's Conrad and it's the other one. Anyway, very beautiful hotel. I walk in and I was just like, wow, 20 foot ceilings. And we've all seen beautiful hotels before, but it was something about this. And I come out of the elevator and there's this young lady and I needed to, I didn't know where the men's room was. And she had this beautiful uniform on. And I said, that's a beautiful uniform. Is that your uniform? Is that your clothes? No, it's your uniform. Isn't it beautiful? Actually, they bought it from Cintas, which I'm actually a sponsor of. So that was fun. And I just remembered just like this uniform was so gorgeous. I didn't even know what the girl looked like. I was just like, I didn't want to be like rude, but I was like, that is just gorgeous. And I, she's taking me to the, to, to, she's directing me to the bathroom. And as she's directing me, she's pushing up the chairs in the exclusive VIP uh, uh, salon casino with her hip, with holding drinks, directing me in this beautiful outfit as she's pushing the chairs in and engaging me in a beautiful conversation. And then said, sir, enjoy your stay and, and pointed me to the bathroom. And that resonated with me because it was class from the second I met the young lady to the second she dropped me off at the bathroom. She was class. So I really noticed demeanor. Awesome. Steve, I'm going to ask one quick question, then we can jump ahead. But I've been to a lot of your properties, uh, know a lot of people you work with. You're you're very good at identifying good employees or good partners. As you look back, and you even had a magician who was a bellman at one property uh, that was, I thought, you know, just genius the way that that kind of played out, being in the lobby and seeing him entertain kids and, and people. Is there a trait when you're interviewing somebody, is there something that you are looking for? Uh, when you interview somebody that you think is is good for for hospitality, yeah, you know it's interesting because I just um, I'm feeling a little uh, less secure because I just had something blow up on me the last two days where I hired somebody that just literally in 24 hours didn't work out, and they had this trait. So 99.9% of the time it works. This time, unfortunately, I think there were some other issues that I didn't recognize, and I don't want to talk about it here. But um, don't care about me care about wanting to do a good job. A lot of people talk to the general manager, talk to an owner or talk to a vice president and they get nervous. Then add on top that people know my face sometimes and know my name. They get nervous when you can sit there and not really care about impressing me, but care about doing a good job for yourself. That impresses me. And I've been in those meetings with, with kids or older people where they don't give a shit if I live or die. They just want the job and they want to do a good job and they want to prove to themselves that they can do a good job. So that is a trait that I look for. If you get caught up in me or caught up in that you're nervous around me, I I don't like that because it's not just that maybe I'm this guy that people know it's then you're just insecure and that's okay because I'm insecure and I've been insecure my whole career, but there is, there's something that resonates when I see somebody that's comfortable with just answering the questions and not trying to impress me. 
Awesome. Kind of along those lines, do you have any advice for somebody who's just getting started in hospitality? I think, and uh, David, uh, I'd like to hear your response to this as well. See what you can do for people. David is very much that person. I wasn't, and I'm learning to be more and more, but see what you can do for people. The more you can do for your staff, the more you can do for people, the more you can do for the owners, the more you can do for your guests, the further you will go. When you are worried about, someone actually on the podcast just said this to me as well, the, the more you're focused on you, you're not going to get very far. So even on set, I was always focused on, does the cameraman have what he needs? Did we have a good lunch? Are they staying in a nice hotel? You know, are they comfortable? Are they happy? Are they being treated? The reason that our director finally got fired is because he had a bad temper and it was it was kept away from me for a long time. Uh, in the beginning, I saw it, then it went away because, you know, I, I told him if that ever happens, I'm going to put a camera in his head. And I saw it at the tone of Florida with this guy, um, Nick, who was a great cameraman. And the show was in the can. It was the last scene. It didn't mean anything. It was 118 degrees. It was humid. We we're all sweating. We're done. I mean, there's literally sweat going down my back. He's sweating and he's a great guy. And he did one little stupid thing, maybe. I don't even remember. It was no big deal. And he flew into him. And I just happened to hear it. And that was the end of him. So making everybody have what they want and what they need makes you go further. And the good news is when you do that, you can hold people to a standard because there's no excuses. There's no excuse. I just gave you everything you want. You know, it's like, I'll give you an example. We were in New Hampshire and we're at dinner. And I know when my producer is trying to keep something from me. So we're at dinner and I see the producers texting each other. And I'm like, okay, so I get up, I go behind Lisa and I go, Lisa, what's going on? No, no, we got it. I go, what's going on? Well, the general manager is causing a problem at the hotel but we're down, so we just got, they're gonna have to deal with it. I was like, no, no, up, let's go. And Lisa came, Maddie came, but my direct, my showrunner says, hey, I'm, I'm eating dinner. I was like, I don't care. I have my iPhone and I have these two. Goodbye, I'm leaving. And as I'm leaving, I jump in the car. He jumps in the car, still chewing. And we get there, and on iPhones, we have one of the best scenes in Hotel Impossible history, right? Because they believed in me, because they know that I will always do everything for them. I needed them at that moment because I knew in instinctively that was going to be a great scene. And the guy threatened to beat the living crap out of me, so it was a great scene. That and then we happen. really – do you remember that scene? You remember that scene? No, that's I said it tends to happen a lot. People threatening <laughs> you on the show. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. happened about, what, six times where people threatened to yeah, kill me? Pretty much yeah, every episode. But no one ever jumped. There was one guy in California, a big guy. <laughs> Unfortunately, when I left, there was a tragedy at the hotel because people didn't listen. But anyway, I don't want to go into that. But a uh, big guy, six foot three, 320 pounds. He came into me. And then I remember I threw my water bottle down. I stepped into him and I go, let's go, buddy. I was like, you're a big, tough guy. Let's be a big, tough guy. But don't walk away from me now. And 10 minutes later, I'm with him. And he's, remember this, David? His show, his head is on my shoulder, weeping like a three-year-old. And he he said, thank you so much for your kindness. So because I stood up to him and wasn't afraid of him, I was like, dude, you're doing the right thing, but don't come at me. What do you think? You're a tough guy. You're going to scare me. I don't, no one scares me. I don't scare me. The only thing that scares me is my wife or my kids. Nobody else scares me. Like, so you wanting to put me in the ground doesn't scare me. That, that excites me. You know, I'm crazy. So, so I don't want to fight you. This is the last thing I want to do is fight anybody. I love you, man. I want you to be successful. And him and I are crying. It was, it was one of my favorite scenes. Well, I think what people... You know, when you, 
Steve, you th- think of advice. I think what a lot of people forget is that the word hospital is in hospitality. And if you don't want to be that person who takes care of people, then you're in the wrong business. And that, that person could be a guest. It could be another employee. But, you know, it's it's like think about the times when you've checked in and the person's like checking in. You're like, no, nah, I'm standing here with my bags 930 at night. I've just taken a walk around the neighborhood. And you're thinking like that's not this person shouldn't be shouldn't have this job. So I think people just forget that. And some people get into it because they think it's glamorous or hotels or. And uh, I can tell you, I, you know, I, I lived on property for many years and it's it's not always glamorous. It can be pretty, you know, pretty tough. Yeah, I think we have a need people like us. Um and I, I just realized it not too long ago. I am hyper competitive, and so is David. But differently, you can see I'm hyper competitive. You don't know that about David, but he's hyper competitive. And we have a need to take care of people, right? I don't have a need to be your friend. I don't have a need for you to have dinner with me. I don't have a need for you to go over your house and play with your kids. But I have a need to, if you need my help, I will take care of you. If you're in my hotel, even if I don't like you, I need to take care of you because that is my job. You know, I just went through uh, my old file from the Lucerne Hotel. It's about that big. And there's about 100, not about, there's 100 common cards. And every common card says, your team is great. They made me feel comfortable. They made me feel at home. You made me feel at home. Like, I'm, a, like, I'm aggressive, but like, I literally have a need to make people happy. Like my family, like last night we left a half hour. I left the Sebastian concert a half hour at the Barclays Center to pull my car around. I parked on the street, got there an hour early. So when they came out, we can get in the car and just go. Like whether it be my kids or my wife or 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 my neighbor, like I have a need to make sure I facilitate stuff. So in the hotel business, I just have a need to facilitate stuff. I love that. I love that. Kind of, kind of a question um, here. How can, how can hotels get creative with what they have? Uh, you you had the ten thousand dollar martini. If you want to, ex- you know, talk a little bit about how you came up with that idea or the backstory behind that, feel free. But any advice for hotels on you know how to get creative with things like that? Yes, yeah, bring, bring in revenue. Yeah, stop trying to be creative. Okay? All right, and stop trying to make something up. Right, walls of a hotel can speak. So if you have a brand new hotel, you have an old hotel like we did. It's easier with an older hotel because there's a lot of history. Listen to the walls. Listen to the history. Understand the history. The martini on the rock came about because we're famous for martinis and we're famous for proposals. Put the two together and there you go. And it blew up. It was the biggest thing in the world. But because we stay true. And I fought to stay true because our PR company was giving me ideas I hated. So I fought and I fought and I fought to stay true. On a new hotel... Find the thing either in the neighborhood. I just I just got a call from three kids from Boston University that are working on a hotel. I won't mention it in um, Boston. And they're like, we're tasked with a marketing idea. And this is what I said to them. I said, I ain't giving you one. But everything you're saying to me, you're talking about marketing. You're not talking about PR. You're talking about long term. You're not talking about right now. I said, lightning in a bottle. Think of something that's lightning in a bottle. And they said, we're thinking about something with a unicorn. I said, okay, what is Moxie? And they're, oh, I'm sorry, I guess I just gave it away. It's the Moxie Hotel. And they're like, um, well, what does Moxie mean? With somebody that's got Moxie, you know, it's got an attitude. I said, so if you want to use a unicorn, then make the unicorn have Moxie. And I, and, I, and I said, I don't know what that means. All I know is you need to find lightning in a bottle. And you need to find it based on what the hotel is. Don't try to make something. It's like you're trying to be somebody else. 
You know, like I'm, I am me. And the reason if I've had any success in my life or David's had any success in his life and Steve, I'm sure the same thing with you is because we are who we are. You know, David will be a little bit more politically correct than me. I won't be. Okay. I, I just won't. I don't care. I'm not going to hurt anybody's feelings. I'll try not to, but I, I'm going to say what I have to say. I'm not going to be rude or disrespectful, but if you ask me a question, you're going to get the real answer. So when you, when you, when you're doing PR for a hotel or marketing, give them the real answer. You know, my favorite commercial of all times is outside of the, uh, here kid, here's my Jersey with Joe Green from, you know, the Coke commercial or the Pepsi commercial. What is it? Coca 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 Coke. Um, the best commercial I've seen in a long time was when Domino's, remember when the CEO of Domino's said, we suck and we're going to suck less tomorrow. Do you remember that? He goes, we're not as good as we think we are. And then, and then you hear a voiceover go, no, you didn't. And he goes, yes, I did. And we're going to be better. Their stock price went through the roof the next day and they turned around. He was honest. That was the greatest PR campaign in the history of campaigns. What did he do? He was true to who he was. We suck. We're going to suck less tomorrow. Because that's our goal. Your goal, my goal, David's goal is to suck less than you did yesterday. You know, and when he did that, I was just like, all praise, man. You're the greatest CEO in the history of CEOs. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So just be authentic. Be authentic with your surroundings and your culture, things like that. Yeah, and, Yeah. and, and be authentic, but don't be authentic to be authentic. You know, like there's people like, you know, they're like, you know, from Brooklyn. So they're really, they're going to overplay their Brooklyn hand. Right. It's like be who you are. You know, sometimes I'm really, really, really kind. Sometimes I'm really direct. Sometimes I'm really Brooklyn. Sometimes you think, you know, very rarely, but maybe you think I went to an Ivy League school. That happens once in a while. (laughs) So right now there's, you know, obviously, you know, there's COVID, there's labor issues. um, And it's kind of, you know, when you're on LinkedIn and you're talking to people, it seems like that's all people are talking about. What's something that we should be talking about in hospitality that you don't hear people talking about? Communication. And I'll give you an example. David, you know, if I say to you, what's the problem between the front desk and housekeeping? What's the problem between reservations and sales? What's the problem between union and, and, and uh, the general manager? What's the problem between the owner and the general manager? You and I will write down a list and we'll probably come up with the same list, right? Yeah. So we have the same problems trying to get uh, a different result using the same systems, right? Give you an example. Right now, I have a friend that just paid $1,200 to stay at a hotel in Miami. He works really hard at the family business. He was three days in Miami, paid $1,200 for a decent room. And he said to me, I went into the store yesterday, and he said, um, is it weird, like, is it common that they don't clean the room anymore? And they go, they didn't clean the room the whole time? No. Did they bring towels? No. They didn't ask you at the front desk if you wanted service? No. They didn't tell you they don't do daily service? No. So, he wouldn't have been upset and he's still not really upset, but like no one told him, sir, we don't offer daily service. Do you need us to offer daily service? It's an extra charge or we don't do it, but we will bring you towels. Just call the front desk. We will take out your garbage. Just call the front desk. And he'd have been cool with that. So they have the low, we have the lowest staffing we've ever had in our industry. We have the highest prices we've seen ever right now, right now. This month is the highest prices we've ever seen in the hotel industry, period. Not since the pandemic, ever. So we have the highest prices. We're not coming down on the prices. Go to Orlando right now, $1,700 for a room. 
and we have the lowest staffing standards that we've ever had. And if you listen to my podcast, CEOs say it. Anything I lower my standards, no choice. Mediocrity right now is acceptable because I have no choice. Okay? So it is what it is. You can't find staff. You want high prices to keep your hotel going because you had two bad years. Communicate that. Do it in a right. funny way. Do it in a way that your your staff can, can embrace it. Communicate. We suck at communication in our industry because we're always trying to hide and we're always trying to be perfect. And so instead of telling the guest who's paying $1,200 a night that you're not getting cleaning services, they got to ask me in a coffee shop three days later saying, hey, did I get screwed? I said, no, you got you got what's happening in the industry. So we really suck at communicating. We make believe we're communicating. And another, the second thing is we need more diversity in the C-suite. We need less middle-aged white guys in the C-suite. We need people coming up in this industry from different uh, backgrounds, whether it be female, whether it be minorities, whether it be people with handicaps, whether it be people that don't look like me, because we represent everyone. And I think there, that there's been a lot, too many middle-aged white guys sitting in a C-suite for too long making the same bullshit decisions that they've made for years. Some of them are great because I talk to them a lot, of, a lot of them on my podcast, but I think that that's the problem. And um, I'm sorry, did I give you my real honest opinion? I think I did. It's a really good point. And, you know, I stayed at a property, just a quick funny story. It was in Florida and I was, I was just baffled. I was like, what are on the screens that these front desk agents are looking at? Because I'm walking by them and no one's looking at me. Nobody's making eye contact. And then I go to check out and uh, somebody had, I got a hook up for a room. And the guy says to me, the front desk agent says, uh, would you like me to email you uh, your receipt? And I said, uh, yeah. I said, do you have my email? Because I wasn't sure because somebody else had made the reservation for me. He goes, that's a really good question. And then there's this awkward, we're staring at each other. And I'm thinking, all right, every other time I walk by, you're looking at the screen. This is when you need to look at the screen to find out if you have my email address. And he says, why don't I, why don't I write down your email address? I said, great. He goes, what is it? I said, first name. He writes down first name. I said, last name. He writes down last name. And then he, I said, NYC. He wrote NYC. And I said, at Gmail. And uh, guess what? I didn't, I, didn't get, I, didn't get, I didn't get my email. I didn't get a receipt. <laughs> Well, your email, I thought a, your email was first name, last name, nyc.com. I, I, I picked something that was very short. Very, It's easy to remember. But uh, but you're right. The communication is really, um, it's uh, it's bad. So it's, it's, it's a great point. You know, we, we talk about stand-ups, right? Somebody was on my podcast yesterday. And you changed the world with stand-ups, yeah. right? I remember when I was Nickelodeon and we have a stand-up 15 minute, everybody come around. And there was a problem with uh, purchase orders. And it was a 1,500-room hotel with 2,000 employees, over five acres. I was the vice president. It was a big deal to turn this hotel around. And so one day, uh, I remember somebody coming to my office and say, hey, purchase orders. I know we need this signature, that signature. They're paying the ass and whatever. And yes, it's all through uh, the internet, but nobody signs into it. And I said, okay, how about this? We bring all the purchase orders to the stand-up every day. And you spend five minutes because every person that needs to sign those purchase orders are there. And we spend five minutes signing purchase orders and then we go about our day and we solve the problem. That's what we don't do in our industry enough. We don't communicate. We, we've solved the problem like that. And that to me, right now, we have to not so much apologize, but we have to communicate the new standard, right? A lot of people don't want 
service. A lot of people right. love, like I do, going to the front desk, grabbing a soda or a water, grabbing a sandwich, okay, parking my car right in front, going upstairs, locking my door, and, you know, and being left alone till the next morning and then going downstairs, getting my real quick breakfast, getting in my car right outside the door and leave. That's what most of us want today, especially if we're on business. So just so we're giving you what you want. Just communicate that right. to people so they know what to expect. Kind of along those lines, what do you see the future guest experience going? Very personalized. Very, very. I will tell you what I want and what I don't want. I want a text message. I want you to put my reservation on my key. I want to open up my door with my key. I I want a robot to take my luggage or I don't want a robot. I like it will be very, very personalized. Um, and technology will dominate in 10 years. I think it'll be hard to find an employee in a hotel. Yeah, there's a lot of movement that way. And you and I have talked about it like. You said you really, you know, once you kind of get in, you don't really want to talk to anybody. You just want to, you want to text, you know, you're texting everybody else. You're texting people in your house who are in another room. So you're in a hotel. And I think what, when you talk about that communication, I think it's not only the hotel employee, the communication to the guest is usually bad because a lot of times hotels even adopt technology and they don't even let the guest know that it's there. So I always say hotels do a very poor job of marketing technology. That's why it's not always successful. So people say, oh, apps don't work or mobile keys don't work. And it's like, well, yeah, but are you communicating it? I have mobile boarding pass. Why wouldn't I want a mobile key? Why wouldn't I want to just go to my room? So I think the communication, I think, is on both sides. Yesterday, when I went to the concert or the the, the show, I couldn't print a uh, ticket. I had to have the app on my phone, and I've never experienced that before. I don't go to a lot of concerts, but I've never experienced that before. There were no no paper at all. I was like, "What do you mean no paper? I can't print out the ticket." One hundred percent. So why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we be? And why we get to technology? And um, I talk a lot about this on a TV show. You you probably heard it. It's ten four and more, right? If everything's going to technology, the guest experience and the interaction with the employee is limited. So if you do 10 for and more, you're guaranteed your employees will engage. So what does that mean? Every single time somebody passes the front desk, every single time you pass a guest, 10 feet away, you have to acknowledge their existence. Could be just by a little head nod, five feet, you say good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is. And the more is when you're passing them, you say you have a great day or at Nickelodeon, we had a little tag. So it's like, oh, you like SpongeBob, you know, um, so so we would. Engage the guest. If you're doing that, you're manda- it's mandatory. If you're walking around the property as an owner or general manager or whatever company you run, it's mandatory that people do that. So if it's mandatory, then you can hold people to a standard and fire them or promote them to customers, I like to say, if they don't hold that standard. If you hold that standard, you can have as much technology as you want. Because people are going to say, oh, my God, everybody's saying hello to me. Everybody's always asking me how I'm doing. This is amazing. And so even though I just see the housekeeper and they do that every time I see them, it changes everything. So I can do mobile check-in, but if I see a housekeeper and she says that, that makes me feel good. I can I can bypass the front desk and bypass room service, but when I'm walking down and the houseman, the security guard sees me and says, hey, you know, have a great day, you know, whatever it is, it changes the environment. We changed the Nickelodeon standard like that. It was on the books. Ten four more was in the it was in the policy book before I got there. When I read it, I was like, "Why are we doing this?" And we changed the entire hotel within twenty four hours just by doing that. Well, that was our last question. We appreciate 
your time. Uh, as always, it's uh, hopefully I'll get to see you in person soon. I think I'm going to see you soon. But, you're going uh, is- to be my airport driver. You're picking me up to go to a wedding. Exactly. I invited him to a wedding and then disinvited him all in an hour. <laughs> yeah, I got all excited. I was... But you can still be my driver. <laughs> I was I was getting ready to text him. I'll take the beef, and then next thing you know, he's calling me, and he's like, "You're not coming to the wedding." Um, so this is so. And it was vegetarian. Us, so yeah, give us um, you know, plug away. Tell us what you're doing right now. Tell us what you're you're going to be doing. Tell us tell um, us a little bit about what's going on in your life professionally. You know, I don't like doing that. Go online. Go to anthonymokir.com. Go to my podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn at Anthony Hotels. Uh, follow me, you know, on Instagram. If you can't find out what I'm doing or you can't get in touch with me, it's because you're not trying. So Anthony Hotels kind of opens up everything I'm doing. And um, But what I really enjoy doing the most is I enjoy being out there speaking to the to people in the industry. Or out. I spoke to a real estate company last week. I just love doing these keynotes. And if I can do nothing else in my life but just go out there and talk to people about my experiences and their experiences, I'm very, very, very happy. Great. Well, once again, thank you. And that's it for The Modern Hotelier presented by State Flexi. And we will see you guys soon. Thank you. You made it to the end of The Modern Hotelier. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media and presented by State Flexi. Stay Flexi is your modern operating system for independent hotels. If you're interested in learning more about Stay Flexi, you can go to stayflexi.com. Or if you'd rather talk to me instead, feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn or email me at steve.karen at stayflexi.com. Thanks and have a great day.